All right, guys, our next guest is one of the most underrated analysts in MMA today. You know him from his excellent work on SevereMMA and Sherdog.com, and he's here today to help us preview this weekend's fight between Stephen Thompson and Jeff Neal, among other things. A true Irish national treasure. Look at this Christmas sweater. It's Sean Sheehan. Welcome back at long last to Submission Radio. How are you, man? It's been a while, isn't it? I put out the, um, I put out the emoji... Uh... The emoji spoilers kind of this morning saying Australia coming back soon. So, the pe- like the people wanted it, so they, they have to do it. And plus, Wonderboy fighting this weekend, perfect timing, absolutely. I, I was, I think I was on like last Christmas as well. I remember asking you, like, it must be weird to have Christmas and like it's warm outside. Like, I'm wearing a Christmas jumper here now. Like, Christmas <laughs> jumpers are a thing around here. Like, you can't wear Christmas jumpers, can you? Because it must be just roasting and warm all the time. I'm wearing the like, same cardigan I've been wearing for the last thousand years, but that's a bit of an anomaly. Yeah. It's uh, It's been like 30-something degrees Celsius the last few days. It's fucking hot. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Listen, it's hot outside, but it's cold inside our hearts, Sean. So it definitely mm-hmm. still feels like cool. Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, also, yeah, appreciate you putting out the Red Band trailer onto Twitter. A lot of people trying to guess what was going on. Many people thinking you were moving to Australia. So I uh, had to disappoint everybody, but no, it was just the fact that he's going to be on this Christmas edition of <laughs> Submission Radio. And before we talk about this Wonderboy and Jeff Neal fight, man, got to talk about Yoel Romero going to Bellator. Uh, a bit of an interesting situation here. UFC lets him go. They're on this big cutting mm-hmm. thing at the moment. And uh, Bellator is looking like it's uh, picking him up, according to his interview with Ariel Hawani. Um, what do you think about this deal, though? Who do you think benefits from it most? Yo Romero built. Uh, I think I think it's kind of one that benefits. I think it benefits Bellator more than Yoel Romero, but I think it benefits the UFC as well because I think look, Yoel Romero is a great fighter, and sometimes we forget how exciting he can be at times. But he can also be like pretty boring. Look at the first round against Adesanya, the whole fight against Adesanya, just unbelievably boring, you know. Um, but you know, if you're Yoel and if you're the UFC and you look at him, you're like, right, he's probably going to beat a lot of the exciting up-and-comers at middleweight. And some of them fights might be really exciting, but some of them fights might be boring as well. And if he gets into a big fight, that might be boring as well. Our people won't buy it because they'll remember the last boring fight they did buy. So he's, what is he, fucking 78 years of age. <laughs> They're like, how long can he <laughs> How long can he keep going the way he is? So for the UFC, even though he's still a very good fighter, even though he's still one of the very best, like, I think it's probably a wise decision on their part. Now, for Bellator, he can beat a lot of those guys. He can beat, he can go up to one, uh, 205. He can have some fun fights. They have some names at 205. You know, I really think they should do a cruiserweight division. It makes so much sense because they have a lot of good guys. I know, I know he comes up from 185, but he could fight at like 215 or 220 or whatever it might be. But they have a lot of guys who are borderline heavyweight, borderline light heavyweight. You know, the likes of Bader, Nimkov, even, I know Rampage is gone now, but guys like that who can fight around Rumble. that way, and they could do it, yeah, Rumble, exactly. Like, they can do, they could do that, and they could make, we have the best cruiserweight in the world. We, You know, they're saying at the moment they have the best two of either. Well, if they'd put in the cruiserweight division, then they would. But however, for you, well, I think, right, it, how much money is he getting out of this? Will he be getting paid as well with Bellator as he is with the UFC? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe, maybe commensurate, it might be around the same. Uh, will he get tougher, easier matchups? It depends. Like, if they put him in there against Musasi, that's a pretty tough matchup. And another fight that could be really, really boring, like has the makings mm. of a really boring fight, it could be great as well. You you wouldn't know. So, look, for Bellator, if they... Like, someone like him, right? I, I think you matchmake Yoel a little bit like you'd matchmake um, Nick Diaz a bit. Now, in, in, a, in a Nick Diaz when he was 
around the GSP fight time. You put him in against someone who's not going to wrestle him, you know, uh, for, for Nick Diaz. And you put him in against uh, an, in an exciting fight. I think for Yoel Romero, you put him in an exciting fight. You know, you put him in there against someone who will go in there and will go all out and try to attack him. And he'll be able to counter him with big flying knees. Don't put him in there like against a technical, tactical fighter. You know, someone like uh, Amusasi. That don't put him in there with that yet. You know, make a fight that you get you, uh, Yoel Romero into Bellator, and you have exciting fights. You the first fight is exciting, second fight is exciting. Okay, if you want to put him in there against uh, be- better competition and maybe a more boring fight, fair enough. But like they did it with Sergio Pettis, they put in put him in there uh, against uh, at least one guy anyway who he went down in and he finished. And he looked great. And remember, you know, everyone remembered again how good Sergio Pettis is and how exciting he is. So Bellator have been known to do that. So if they can match make it right that way, have a really exciting fight, I think it makes a lot of sense. Now the, on the Rumble fight itself. I don't like that fight straight away. Even though that could satisfy that. Hot take. Like, Rumble, Rumble hasn't fought that much. Like, when was the last time Rumble fought? Probably three years ago? If I, I don't know. I haven't I haven't looked at it yet. But like, I remember you were on. We were talking Rumble about it. You said he shit the bed against Daniel Cormier. Been laughing ever since. Well, he did, yeah. He did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Sean digging his heels what in. Else can you say? He did. <laughs> what else can you say? He did. Twice? Did he fight DC twice? He did twice, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird but fight. um, mm. give Rumble a chance. Rumble's another guy you need. To, I think matchmake well. Give him like someone like fucking Jake Hager fight. Not that bad, no. But you know, around that <laughs> level, give him a few fights to get back into it, and then maybe make that fight. But I don't think there's any need to rush it. I think they need to do a little bit of boxing promotion on this now. Like let, let's get Joshua and let's get Tyson Fury, and then in like eighteen months' time, we'll have the two of them fight. So I think we can do that with those, especially Rumble. Now you will like give him a bit of a harder fight straight away, but an exciting harder fight for Rumble. I'd give him at least one, maybe two fights against a guy who might be like, you know, 10 and 5 or something like that. Or, or a, you know, a Ryan Nelson or, a, you know, someone like that at heavyweight. That's that's what I do with those two guys. Yeah, it's fascinating because we're at this point now where the UFC is making all these cuts. But and also people are going over to Bellator. But these are, you know, pretty quality talents like Yoel Romero. You mentioned before, you know, it, he was in a weird spot in the UFC, but then he could have. Possibly going up to 205, something we haven't seen him do yet. Probably could have fought some of the guys up there. UFC's 205 division is pretty barren at the moment. And Anthony uh, Rumble Johnson, you know, he was the guy that people were saying, hey, you know, if Israel becomes a champ at 205 or something like that, you need somebody Mm -hmm. to throw at him. Maybe he's the guy to sort of spice up the division. Those guys are gone. Anderson Silva's gone. I'm just wondering, what are you expecting from these cuts? Do you think people will be surprised by some of these guys that are going to be let go? Like, do you think it's going to be... People like Junior Dos Santos and, and the like, you know, that have sort of been losing for a while. Maybe people like Shogun who, you know, maybe don't have any that much left to offer to the company. Or do you think people will be surpri- genuinely surprised by some of these people that are going to be let go who still have some go in the tank and could still provide some, you know, interesting, entertaining fights and sell some of these fight night cards that, you know, people aren't that interested in on a weekly basis? Yeah. I, th- I think it's an interesting one because, like, what we're talking about, all the guys you named there... Are, well, maybe not all of them, but most of them are kind of gatekeepers to the very top right now. Like, you look at JDS. If you beat him, you're right into, like, fighting to the top five. You know, you might be fighting Blades or, or you know, Derrick Lewis, whoever might be there. If you beat Jackery, you're right into middleweight top five. You know, you're beating that, that sort of, you're fighting that sort of guy. Like, Anthony Pettis is fighting this weekend. Let's say you beat him, you're right into the lightweight top 10 or five, and maybe he could get caught. Or Sam, like, look at Cerrone. Or further down the divisions, like you look at someone like a halfway Lassen. So, and all of those guys, uh, you know, they're a yardstick for the very top, and that's important 
you know, it's important that you get over that sort of guy and get that sort of win to, to kind of take you to the next level. Case in point, this mm. last weekend, look look at Charles Oliveira. Everyone knew Charles Oliveira was very good. Everyone knew he was on a great run. But did we think he was like... Because like, uh, everyone, I'm sure you did, I did it on my podcast, we talked about the, the six guys uh, who could fight for the, the UFC lightweight title after Habib went. McGregor, Poirier, uh, Ferguson, Gaethje... Um, Oh God! Who, um, Michael Chandler and who's the other one? I'm missing one. Anyway, uh, th- those guys and everyone like left Charles of Oliveira behind them. You know, everyone, everyone kind of left him, and are like, he got that win over Tony Ferguson, who was one of those guys, and it put him into the next level. You know, mm. L- look at say um, and Nathaniel Wood coming through. He fought against John Dodson, who got caught and is I don't know if he's gone to Belter or he's gone somewhere anyway. He didn't beat him, so he kind of goes back a little bit. But if he did beat him. You're into the top 15. So th- there is that yard second division. Look at Kevin Holland this last weekend. Mm. He beat Jack Ray. And what does he do? He moves on. Looking at the rankings here, like, who is the next? Like, there, there's tough guys. Look, say Marlon Moraes at 135. Is he going to be that for them? Like, maybe he will be. Like, it, it's difficult to look through these divisions and see. Like, is Max Holloway going to be that at 145? Like, I, he's fighting Calvin Cater coming up. Like, it's, God, could you imagine? There's always going to be an... Yeah, I know. But that's the thing about it. Because... Mm. The, the the production line at the moment is producing maybe a lot of the younger guys. And then the guys who are like just champions are kind of still around. I, I believe, I think it was Nick Baldwin put it out. No champion lost their belt this year. None. Not, not any female or male champion. John Jones gave it up. Henry Cejudo gave his two up. But none of them lost it. Like, and that that's an interesting thing because like there's a lot of mo- there's a lot of movement kind of around the divisions. But at the top of the division... To like set yourself apart, you need that top kind of three to ten to kind of get over mm. to to prove you're the next guy to and to not just prove you're the next guy, but to build yourself up as the next guy. And if they're gone and they're kind of replaced with the next level, let's say like a, instead of a instead of a, a Pettis or a or a, a Cerrone, you have like a, an Anthony Hernandez or or someone like that, or, or like or, or a you know whoever it might be. Is that as good a win, as big a win, as proving as a win, a win as the other two? I don't think it is. So it's it's interesting. There's a very, like, sometimes those guys are kind of gone past their prime and they're, you know, they no longer serve that function. But I think they have an important function. I think for the UFC, it's a risky business if you're cutting all of them. Now, I don't think they will cut all of them, but I'd still be keeping some of them around just to kind of put the other guys over if you want to talk in, in uh, wrestling parlance. So it's uh, it's interesting to see what they do over with D60 cuts. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because like if you say Yoel Romero and um, Anthony Johnson to me, I'm going, hey, you know, I want to see these guys fight in the UFC. I want to mm-hmm. see some of these matchups. If you say Junior Dos Santos to me or something, or maybe like a Shogun, I go, oh, that's fair enough. Or you know, if maybe like mm-hmm. Tashir ends up losing a few fights in a row, so, a guy like him who's been there for a long time. But you just rattled off, for example, Cerrone, Pettis. Um, you know, all these guys like Tony Ferguson, and to me, that sounds like a really good UFC card. The fans would really care about. And uh, I think, you know, it's interesting because you look at the thing from the perspective of how much is it about a fighter being good or how much is it about your personal journey with a fighter? Like if you look Mm -hmm. at it from the entertainment perspective and you look at it even from a pro wrestling perspective, you know, all these guys like Goldberg, Triple H, all these guys, whoever it is, Undertaker, Mm -hmm. these are the guys the fans grew up with. These are the guys that fans uh, kind of watch the whole time. And these are the guys that want to tune in and see what they're doing. And, and, and to a level, it's so rare to do that with MMA. But if you got like a guy like Anthony Pettis or a Cerrone, wouldn't you just, and 
of course, this is also based on the fact that the contracts they want to they want to get those cheaper contracts, of course, and they want to they don't want to pay these guys that money. Mm-hmm. But if you're the UFC, wouldn't you almost be like, hey, let's let's pay a little bit more here to still keep keep the interest in this card and keep this guy around because the fans are so invested to him, rather than let them just go off into into the distance and you know go over to Bellator where people maybe mm-hmm. don't care. Okay, well. Oh, uh, Anthony Pettis, uh, he's he's not the champion anymore. People don't care about that. People want to see him do a mm. jumping kick off a fence or something. Or Serenity <laughs> wants to see him drink beer and ride his motorcycles yeah. and not care about exactly. fights. Or Tony Ferguson exactly. people... doing weird roles around around the state. You yeah. know what I mean? And how much is that yeah. what people tune in for, though? Well, you know I, what I, I mean? think the last 100%. three Tony Ferguson fights has, has, in a way, been him saving the card. Like, UFC yeah. 256 needed star power, who's a fun guy to get on, who people actually care about, Tony Ferguson. That was the people's main event. And I think the last two fights as well, obviously, you know, with the Gaethje uh, last-minute sort of fill-in, but then the previous fight, who was it that he fought? That was another one, uh, was it Pettis? My my memory's going hazy, but it was another one where they're like, we need, we need something on this card, let's throw him on there. Yeah, it's like it's a very interesting one. I, I think the thing about it as well, I agree with everything you said there, and like they need excitement. Like even Diego Sanchez, I love watching Diego Sanchez fight. Even okay, he's probably past his prime and everything like that, but I love it. But I think there's one very interesting thing. You know, you mentioned about obviously there's a lot of talk about the contender series people coming in right now, and I thought it was very funny. A couple of things Dan White said. First of all, and I, there's these three things I'll bring together. First of all, he said about the 125 pound division, right? And he said about rebuilding it, and Mick Maynard did a, a great job of rebuilding it, right? And then he said. We don't do things like Bellator. And then he also said, we want to bring the best young guys through in the sport. That's what we do. You know, where once a guy has reached the top and he can't reach the top anymore, we, we want rid of him. That's kind of what Bellator have been doing over the last few years. Like mm. Bellator have signed all these young guys straight mm. out of college and peak on contracts. If you look at the UK and Ireland, they've basically signed SPG gym. They've signed everyone out of there. James Gallagher, Kiefer Crosby everyone out of that gym they have tried to sign all the best young talent in the world and now what are the ufc doing the ufc are getting in there before them getting them on the contender series getting them on low money into the ufc and keeping them signed that way mm-hmm. whereas bellator were giving these like these guys in the uk and ireland especially they're, they're on great money with bellator you know they're mm-hmm. fantastic money they're not going to cage wires and not getting towards the ufc that way and they're earning enough money with, with bellator now let's see if we can keep going with this the zone deal supposed to be going out the window but that's, I think it's a very interesting play what the UFC are doing. Because it but seems also like the going, UFC... You're going from the perspective yeah. of, hey, like we want to build a younger division, but really you, mm. you want to pay less money <laughs> to mm. these yeah. guys. But pretending like, oh, no, it's not because of that. It's like, come on. Mm. You know, what are we really doing here? Like, let's be honest a little bit. <laughs> What's the real they, motivator? They can do that, though. It's, it, they've just found another way. Like, tough, they used to do it. And they used to bring in, what, mm. like, let's say three guys a season who would be there for years and years. And then maybe one or two more might, might emerge from the season as well. Now they're bringing in five people a week mm. from the contender series, you know? And they were doing tough twice a year, or one, you know, maybe twice every two years or something like that. Now they're doing it, what, how many episodes of Dana White contender series are in a year? Like 20 or something like that? Yeah, but and you, don't, you, don't, you don't want a tough contract if you, I mean, you know, you're supposed to get like a six figure contract if you win yeah. that show on the exactly, contender yeah. series. You don't win anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Yeah, so they're they're bringing That's in. A lot of money. They're trying. Yeah, they're they're trying to get the best young fighters in for really really low money and replace the older better fighters who are on a lot of money with these younger guys. So it's like for the UFC. It's I suppose it is. It's smart in the long run, but 
I suppose in the short term, how is it going to work? If you can combine it well and do it well with both of them and keep putting guys over with those older guys and by the time, you know, so one guy goes up and then he comes a little bit back down and then the other guy's coming up and kind of passing down. He goes out and then the other guy comes up and comes back down. You know, you need you need to keep that, mm. that, that circle kind of flowing for the UFC with their talent. But it's it's interesting because I think before it was easier to create stars that people um locked onto you know now we don't see it that often like it was we, i know we talk about maybe this weekend Mikel Pereira he's kind of one of them people have kind of locked onto him because he's funny and kind of he's an odd guy and he's a weird weird uh, way of fighting things like that but before we had so many of them that people were like mm. rabid fans of and i think maybe mm. now you know you might have Adesanya with the New Zealand guys or McGregor with the Irish guys and and you know certain parts of Boston i think is a cater from Boston and things like that but i it's interesting to see if they can do that and if guys will earn names like Cowboy and Pettis over the next few years in a similar sort of way and will be able to have their names mean something uh, when someone beats them. So I think it's interesting to see if that uh, works out. I think that's the key. I think also the fact that there's an oversaturation of the sport these days. There's so many fights on the people are just picking and choosing what they tune into and a lot of them they're not going to tune into. And if a lot of those up-and-coming guys are on those cards that are missed, then they're not really going to be... Uh, they, they may find it hard to sort of break through. Uh, although Jeff Neal, who we're going to talk about in a sec, is not one of them. He's got a pivotal fight against uh, Stephen Warnerboy Thompson. Before we talk about that, just want to talk about uh, the legendary Jose Aldo versus Marlon Vera yeah. this weekend, which... You know, we saw we saw Lars Vera who uh, completely derailed Sean O'Malley in the first round. And aside from the fact that this looks to be obviously a fun stylistic matchup, it seems like kind of what we're talking about, where the UFC are very much teeing up the aging but still somewhat rejuvenated Jose Aldo for Vera to essentially beat. And uh, you know, Aldo hasn't won yet at bantamweight. Uh, his his last loss against Piotr Jan was pretty tough to watch. Uh, what are you expecting from this one? Do you think this is a case of young eating old? And uh, you know, what do you think? Do you think Jose Aldo can somehow turn back the clock and uh, fend off a, a dangerous Marlon Vera? I, w- I wouldn't be surprised at all if Aldo won. To be honest, I think the three rounds really suits Aldo because if you look at the the fight against Yan, even he was doing pretty pretty well. You know, for the, those first. Uh, those first three rounds, I remember, uh, or, or even in the last week or so, I've been going back over the um, the nominations for like fight of the year, and I was talking to a couple of people about it, and that that kind of kept their list. Grabak Hitman being one, the legend, and he kind of had that in the list. And I went back and I was watching a bit of it because of the, obviously this fight's coming up as well. And I was like, he did do pretty well. Like that was a pretty good fight for a while there. Um, so I think three rounds. I, I like if you remember Aldo, like years and years and years ago, or even look back at his record. Maybe a lot of people weren't watching it. Um, all, like he's always he came in, you know, double flying knee and fucking cups once and things like that before he got to the UFC. So um, I think the three rounds will help him. Now, the thing about Vera is he like he fights in. A, if you were to look at it, I watched a couple of his fights last night, Cheetah Vera's fights, and if you watch him coming out, like the bell sounds and he comes out, and he looks a bit like Jose Aldo in terms of like he stands, he stands in like a Muay Thai stance and he throws his shots, mm. but then. The second he starts kind of moving from that, he gets very different. He switches stances all the time. He throws more kind of leaping punches. He kind of switch and throw leg kicks uh, in a different sort of way than an Aldo or a normal Muay Thai guy will. And we know over the last few years, we've seen it against obviously McGregor in, in quick order. And we've seen it against Volkanovski and Jan and different people. It's when you kind of change up things like that and meet Aldo in the middle and hit him with harder shots and he can hit you with and be a little bit faster than him. That's the area Aldo gets stuck in. Now, 
if Aldo can be a little bit more defensive and a little bit more elusive, which he was, I think, early a little bit against uh, Jan, I'd give him a great chance. I would probably pick Vera because I just think, like, I just feel like maybe a few elbows in through the middle or a few big shots when they meet in the middle. Like, the thing about Vera is he will keep throwing. No matter what you do to him, he will keep throwing. And, you know, you look at someone like Aldo and you think... Every time Aldo fights, people are saying, oh, what about the leg kicks? He's got to bring back the leg kicks. He's going to do the leg kicks again. I think he did them in, in one fight recently, but yeah. he just he just doesn't do them that much anymore. And I think in this fight, and I'll say it again, I'll probably say it for every fight, but if he can throw a few leg kicks or a few body kicks even in this fight against Vera, I think it could help. But I think it's going to be a really exciting fight because like Vera wants someone to meet him in the middle and Aldo will meet you in the middle if you you know give him that opportunity. And this is... I think it's going to be a really good fight, honestly. As long as it lasts, it could it could be over in quick order. But um, yeah, I think I think it'll be a really fun fight. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting fight. And also, who knows what's going to happen to Aldo if he loses here? So maybe mm, yeah. his coaches in the third round going, "You're fighting for your job here, Aldo. Get out there and land those <laughs> leg kicks." Um, it'll be an interesting one. Let's look at the main event, man. Let's talk about Jeff Neal because he's currently riding a seven fight win streak. Uh, his last loss actually came against Kevin Holland all the way back in 2017. And um, he destroyed Mike Perry almost uh, one year ago. Uh, we know that Stephen Thompson is a longtime member of Team Sheehan, but we'll, this fight will answer a lot of questions. As a prospect, are you sold on Jeff so far? And is this the right fight for him to have right now? Yeah, <laughs> The, the right, it's probably the right fight for Jeff Neal. It's a great fight for Jeff Neal in terms of, like I was talking earlier on about, if you can beat this guy, it means something. You know, I know a lot of people, maybe, I, maybe I'm a bit biased because I have a soft spot for Wonderboy, but I don't think you can doubt that Wonderboy is one of the best welterweights in the world. Like, if you take away if you take away the Anthony Pettis uh, knockout, which is kind of a flash knockout at the end of a round, like, Wonderboy has been right up there fighting some of the best in the world, beating mm. most of the best in the world. Look, okay, had the Darren Till fight, a close decision and stuff, so... Beating Wonderboy means something, and if you can, if you're t- um, Neil and you beat Wonderboy, it means something. Like I always said about Leon Edwards as well, when the, the Wonderboy fight came up, and he was like, "Why would I fight you?" I was like, "If you beat Wonderboy, you're like the number two welterweight in the world. You know, mm-hmm. you're or you're right up there as one of the best welterweights in the world." People talking about Masvidal, did we forget like two years ago? Wonderboy schooled Masvidal. Did, we, did everyone just forget that? Absolutely schooled him, schooled Vicente Luque. You know, he's, he's still a great fighter, and if Jeff Neil can beat him, it means a lot. It's a huge fight for Jeff Neal. For Wonderboy, I don't know. It, it just feels like... It feels like people have kind of forgotten about him and forgotten how, kind of how good he yeah. is. And b- maybe it's because... Like, Wonderboy kind of ruins careers because... I, I, like, I I've, I've watched a few Jeff Neal fights last night. I took down some notes and I was like, oh, he's a very good southpaw, holds high hands, maybe could attack his body. He buys his time, he hits a lot, he circles a lot. Uh, he's a lovely straight left, hits with power. But does any of that matter when you fight Wonderboy? Like... <laughs> Is he is he going to be able to do any of that? Like, is he be able, going to be able to come in and throw his straight left the way he throws it all the time in other fights? Probably not. Is he going to be able to circle out? Yeah, but like, what difference is going to that, that going to make against Wonderboy? Like, Tyron Woodley had to change his whole, uh, you know, the whole way he fought to fight Wonderboy and beat him twice. Well, he obviously drew once. He and he was never able to change back, and it kind of ruined his career. You know, it, hmm. it, Wonderboy does that because you have to change up everything. So, it's. It's one of those fights where it's a tough, tough fight for uh, for Neil, um, and it's look, it's a tough fight for Wonderboy as well because it's this up and coming guy. He's he's uh, he's strong and he's hard. He hits hard and everything like that. But it, it's one of those fights where 
is where is Wonderboy in his career right now? Like he, his last few fights, there hasn't been that much, I think, of a degradation in his game. He's still been really good. Okay, the results mightn't be as good over the last while. He hasn't fought that much over the last while uh, either. But if it's the same Wonderboy as we've seen all the time throughout the years, he's mm. going to be hard to hit. He's going to be hard to beat. He's going to be hard. You know, it's going to be hard everywhere. Now, Neil might unpoint him. He might unpoint Neil. But over five rounds as well against Wonderboy, it's... it. Look, it gives you more of a chance to, I suppose, catch him. But it also gives you more of a chance to kind of get the runaround for five rounds as well. So, it's... it's. I think it's an interesting fight. I always, uh, I always love Wonderboy fighting. And I like watching Jeff Neil fight last night. He's an animal. Mm. Well. So, this is... It's a... Like, the, the most interesting thing to me is someone who, more than anything, loves, like watching two guys fighting and then see how they'll fight each other see see what you know a plus b equals on fight night and to see what jeff neal does to counteract wonderboy i think is an interesting thing because it's it's very rare you you see someone and then this never really happened apart from maybe matt brown back in the day where someone has got a game plan that actually brings out their positive aspects like okay pettis did it but it was it was it was one strike wonderboy was chewing him up other than that yeah no one else has really been able to do it. Can Jeff Neal do that? And if he does that, I'd be unbelievably impressed. And I, I think he'd be right up there with the best welterweights in the world if he can do that against Wonderboy. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Jeff almost died back in August. I'm, I'm laughing, but it was, it was crazy. He went to emergency room and he was septic by the time he got there. The nurses didn't know if he was going to make it. Um, it was an infection and he ended up having congestive heart failure. All of this is crazy. Uh, imagine, and that, that's just, what, four months ago. But it, it sort of leads to the, the more important question of, you know, being four months removed from almost dying, even if he has the technical technical skills or the game plan, do you think he'll even be physically ready to, you know, maybe give his best showing against a really, really, really tough guy in the division? Yeah, I just I didn't even know about that. <laughs> to there be you honest, go. I still how much I'm fucking paying, paying attention now. Yeah, it's a, it's a year since he fought as well, you know, almost mm. to the day. So, yeah, against, like... I don't know, like, how much time has he had to recover? How much time has he been in training camp? Like, I, it's funny because I said the same sort of thing last week about Kevin Holland going in there against Jacare. Like, Jacare, yeah. uh, in the past, has been one of the toughest guys to game plan for, or to not game plan for, but prepare for. You know, we we heard guys bringing in jiu-jitsu world champions for months beforehand to prepare for his jiu-jitsu. And then Kevin Holland goes in there on two weeks' notice having, after having the coronavirus and <laughs> destroys him. So, yeah, I don't know. And the way that he did it as well, it might be one yeah. of the craziest finishes, or definitely the crazy, one of the craziest finishes of the he year. He basically beat Jacker on the ground. He didn't submit him, but yeah. he beat him on the ground. Just... I don't know how you knock someone out like that. I've yeah. seen anything like this. Yeah. Game he, was ha- yeah. he was happy to be on the ground with him as well. Mm. Like, yeah, so it's, it's interesting one. Like, I think, I think if he can, like, if he can kind of beat Wonder Boy in, like bottom love to kind of circle around the cage, but like it's if he can kind of beat Wonderboy circle, and that's impossible to do because no one doesn't. Because Wonderboy's foot movement is so good, he can go either way, unlike anyone we've kind of seen in MMA before, I think. Um, but if he can kind of beat that circular movement and land that straight left, and if Wonderboy has slowed down a bit because he's getting on in age as well, like what, what's Wonderboy? Uh, I don't, I don't have it up for me. I was looking at yeah, Jeffrey, but seven or something, isn't yeah, it? yeah, and you like that quick footwork is not going to last forever so uh you know it might might be i hope it's not but i might it might be uh i might be wonder by his time but yeah it's it's an interest it's one of these fights that i find hard to call just because like i think if it's prime wonder by against jeff neal right now i think wonder by wins you know i think i think he leaves too many openings like one thing i'll definitely watch out for in this fight is 
Wonderboy kicking the body because Neil has a very much like he's a very boxing oriented stance, especially when he fights at range. Um, and I think his hands are just a little bit too high to fight against someone like Wonderboy. And if he can kick the body, if he can hurt the body a little bit, that will open up the head and you could see a head kick coming here. But it's uh, it's an interesting fight. And like it, there, there's actually, that's actually a pointless thing I just said because Jeff Neil will change his game because you have to change your game to fight Wonderboy. So I don't know what we're going to see on Saturday. It was a t- that was a terrible preview by me. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. He did a great Nobody job. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what we'll see. Now, a lot of questions. And by the way, Wonderboy, with, with the you know elite uh, YouTube channel, he, his YouTube channel, he's got so many great videos. And you can actually see his camp leading into this fight. And man, he looks quick and he looks good. So I wonder what, what we're going to see from him. I'm also curious from to know from you, Sean, when it comes to Wonderboy, what do you think is on the line here um, if he does win? Because he's kind of in a funny position. I mean... There is a massive key for the next title shot. You know, you got Gilbert Burns, Colby, Leon, Kamzat, you know, Mazadal maybe even trying to get back in there. But also, him versus Kamara Usman, let's say every, even if he was next, that's not really a fun fight anyway. I mean, you'd, you'd think Usman would probably just try and wrestle him for most of the fight and, and likely beat him. So what do you do with him next? And especially at this point in his career where you can't really have him sitting around for another year or two and come back when he's like 39 and 40 to fight, you know, to fight another Je- Jeff Neal. You, you got to act quick with a guy like this and sort of maximize his potential. What would you do next with him, knowing everything that's sort of happening in the division? The thing about it is, though, you, like you said there, Usman th- to wrestle him. Like, who has wrestled Wonderboy in the last while? Like, no, nobody has done it. No, no mm. one at all. Like, Woodley was, he was able to do it for bits and pieces. And it's usually after a knockdown he's been able to do it. But not since Matt Brown. Nobody's been able to do it. So... You th- you're thinking uh, this is a good matchup, perhaps, the Usman? Not necessarily saying that. I've just been watching like... him train with Chris Weidman um, on his YouTube channel, and it doesn't look like mm-hmm. he's been working as much wrestling lately. No. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's only giving... Chris Weidman needs a bit of confidence. He's only giving <laughs> back a bit of confidence. He's only playing around with him. Do you know what? It, it'd be interesting. We we talked about earlier about the yardstick for kind of greatness, and mm. I suppose that's one of them for, for Neil this weekend, but if Hamzat fights Leon Edwards... Like does does which does more for you in terms of like that the fans like even in okay maybe in the UK and, and Ireland and stuff where we know maybe Leon Edwards is a little bit better it's different but like which does more for you a win over Wonderboy or a win over Edwards like I I'd argue it's still Wonderboy people know Wonderboy better they know how tricky he is they know what go, how good of a fighter he is like maybe it's terms of if if uh, Hamza beats Leon Edwards then maybe he'll fight a Wonderboy if Wonderboy wins this weekend or something like that but. Yeah, it's. Do you, do you think because the the matchup with Leon Edwards, I think people have a lot of questions like, what would happen if Kamzat goes up against another guy who's an elite mm-hmm. grappler and can he yeah. can he hang in there? Whereas with Wonderboy, it's like, ah, well, Wonderboy just didn't wrestle this camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, hey, look, it's, it's an interesting. It's it's a tough one. Like, yeah. what's what are they going to do with Masvidal? Like, who's Masvidal going to fight? Like, he's it looks like Colby, right? Covington. Do you still want to see gonna... that Covington fight or? I... Absolutely not. Like, wh- why? Why would you want to see Masvidal lose again in another? You know, he's going to, in a destruction. Like, like he's going to get destroyed do you just, again. Do you just do him like, and Nick Diaz or something like that, dude? Or him? Well, he'd probably get destroyed by Wonderboy as well. But like him versus versus Wonderboy is probably uh, you know an even, more even fight now than it was two years ago. And Wonderboy destroyed him. But like, yeah, him versus Nick Diaz, him versus Nate Diaz again would be. Not a bad fight at all. Like, you got something with Masvidal for a while. And if 
Like, where's he been? I have all I've done. I, all I've heard of from him is fucking Trump tweets for the last six months. Like, <laughs> what what has he been doing? Like, now was the time, especially for him and his management. Fair enough for the UFC, they move on, and we we always see that. But where has Maxwell been for the last six months? Like, this is the time he's getting on in his career as well. He finally got, uh, you know, a big contract, and he finally got a lot of money, and he finally got a lot of clout. Now's the time he should be fighting. He should be fighting. He should be getting big names in there. He should be fighting that, you know, the two Diaz brothers. He should be trying to fight McGregor, whoever it might be, to get that big money. Now is the time to strike for Masvidal, and he's just got missing. It, like, it makes no sense to me at all. So, I don't know. It's, that welterweight division is very weird because mm. Edwards has just been sitting around for so long, doing nothing. It looks like Usman and Burns are going to fight, but that was kind of put off for another while again, wasn't it? Mm. Covington... Like Covington and Masvidal, is that going to happen? If it does, you're probably just going to see Covington win again. And you know, I'd love to see Usman versus Covington again, but that's probably going to be a while down the line. Then you have Tyron Woodley, ranked number six. I don't know how he's fucking still there. Damian Maya, number seven. Michael Chiesa, who'd want to see him fighting anyone? Neil Magny. You know, I mean, Neil Magny is a really good fighter, but like, is Neil Magny ever going to be a champion? Absolutely not. Like, Vicente Luque got, got destroyed by Wonderboy. Jeff Neal could be good. Pettis. Fucking lightweight. Bilal Mohamed got COVID. <laughs> Robbie Lawler, he was good 30 years ago. And Hamza, <laughs> he's brilliant coming through. Maybe he's the guy. So I'm just talking oh, about everything. This, this is a roast. This isn't a breakdown. This is a roast. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to get Jeff Ross on the show to preview the card. Hey, I was going to say, it's funny as well because uh, it's one of those divisions too where people kind of you know, like casual fans and people that don't, that don't really follow their sport, the sport, they don't even really know who the champion is. And then when you look at the Gilbert Burns Kamara Usman fight, that's like a really fun fight because you don't really know what's going to happen there. So if when you look at it, but it's not exactly the biggest draw either. So it's funny how like through the middle of the division you have some of the bigger, more interesting fights, but they're not really for the title. It's an interesting mm-hmm. division. Yeah, thank God Saint McGregor's coming back to save us here. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we need. Saint McGregor. I don't think anyone's referred to him as Saint McGregor in a long time. It's the Conor McGregor fight. I tell you what, man. You know what? Okay, since you bring it up, just quickly, does this feel like, in a way, just another fight to you? Like, this doesn't have that same magnitude of another Conor McGregor fight. I know we're obviously not in fight week and that's where things get, you know, Mm. turned up, but there's just something about this fight. Don't get me wrong. I'm very, very excited about it, but there's been sort of this theory and notion that for a long time, the UFC kind of wanted Conor to be just another guy where they wanted to maybe, you know, clip his wings a little bit. He had a little bit too much power. He was going off and doing things and they would rather him just be kind of, you know, fall in line. And I don't know, there's just something about this fight. I'm not saying they're not promoting it. They will turn up the dial. But um, I don't know. Just doesn't feel as crazy. Do you get that vibe, Sean? Yeah, my, my session Graham had a bit of an uh, a discussion about this in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and like the the conclusion, I kind of think we bought Kemta. Although they've they've always been doing that, as you mentioned. But after McGregor released those DMs from Dana White, you know, if they were going to kind of get on the right side of it, the UFC, especially around now, I, <laughs> you know. I think those DMs and McGregor kind of putting those out kind of, <laughs> you know, stopped them from doing that. I don't think Dana White is, is totally behind this fight or behind McGregor fighting without the guarantee of fans and without the guarantee of a huge get. Like, that's the reason he hasn't been fighting for the last year. Like, sometimes people, like, love to not believe what McGregor says. But, like, when McGregor says he wants to fight, he almost always wants to fight. You know, whether it's the RDA fight that time or the Frank Yeager fight or wh- whichever fight it might be, 
he's always wanted those fights and it's something else that's happened that and it's not him that stopped those fights from happening like McGregor wanted to do a season in 2020 you know he wanted to get back and he wanted just another fight he, like he said Diego Sanchez you know and he just wanted to get in there and he wanted to have two or three fights and then he wanted to fight Habib again he wanted to get back like because if you look at the McGregor I, I know I put it out there in 11 months he had those fights against Aldo two against Diaz and the championship fight against uh, Eddie Alvarez Four fights, three weight classes, two belts in 11 months. Mm. Like, that's when you see the best Conor McGregor. And I think McGregor knows that. And I think he wanted to get that by getting into, you know, these big and he fights. Wanted, he wanted to kind of t look at it from more of a boxing perspective, mm -hmm. which is what people don't understand in MMA, which is like, unfortunately, in boxing, like he had Anthony Joshua fight the other, the other weekend. Yeah. No one even knew it was happening. But he fought, and he it was a terrible fight, and it was boring, but he won. And you get that in boxing where a guy will fight a world champion and a big fight, and then he'll fight an absolute nobody like a month later mm -hmm. just to keep himself yeah. warm and just to keep himself accurate so that when he fights the next guy, mm -hmm. he's ready for it. And that's a real thing. Warm-up fights. Yeah. It happens yeah. all the time. And I don't, like, I don't think that's a necessarily a bad thing because we, we always no. say it as well, like, earn your way you back stay to active. the title. You can't just leave a yeah. ring and then just not come yeah. back until the next big fight. That's an MMA thing. That's not a combat mm -hmm. thing. People don't understand and it. For some and the other thing that people don't understand is Paria isn't that. <laughs> you know, Paria absolutely is not that. I was talking to my friends about it the, the other day and they were like, ah, he already beat Paria. You know, he knocked him out in a round and it's, oh, it's not for a belt. Who cares? We're not even going to watch it. But this is absolutely a real fight. With Habib gone, is there a tougher fight in that division? Like, may maybe you could argue Gaethje. Maybe you could argue, well, not Tony Ferguson anymore, probably. But, you know, may maybe you could argue one or two other guys. But not many. You know, not many at all. Paria coming up to from 145 is a different prospect. He's improved so much as well. So, it's one of those fights where, yeah, like, does it feel like just another McGregor fight or just another fight? I I, I don't think so. I'd be lying if, if I said, well, it does feel a, a little bit special uh, already, I think. By the time it gets there, it'll obviously have cranked up again. But, you know, the fact that it isn't the mad Habib fight and the madness we had around that and the belt isn't on the line, it's more of the next step from McGregor back there than anything else. Now, unless the belt is on the line, which it could be. But uh, I don't know, I suppose we'll, we'll find out. It, it's weird to say anything in this lightweight division with, with Habib the way he is at the moment because, like, is it a hashtag MMA retirement or is it an MMA retirement? Like, and he's actually retired. <laughs> who, who knows? Uh, once we find that out, I suppose we can go from there with it. Mm. We'll get your prediction for this fight in a second. Um, but you were mentioning things on the line. Don't put your manhood on the line by uh, using a rusty old shaver or a knife to shave your balls. Oh, look at that. Sean with the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. Show us the LED light, Sean. Oh, look at that. Oh, it's brilliant. Look at that. It's unreal. It's like a ship in the middle of the night just, just docking in the dock with this sweet light. Waterproof. Yeah, there you go. It swims. It shaves whatever you... Oh, Sean just killed his... <laughs> no, it's, uh, it won't cut you. I've used it many times. Uh, oh. And if you, want, uh, if you want balls as smooth as eggshells, you can do that. You can be Dave Chappelle, go to the beach, look for ball suckers, and uh, have a great summer here in uh, in Australia or wherever you are around the world. Look at that. That's the travel, the shed travel bag. You can put all your Manscaped goodies in there. <laughs> use the code SUBMISSION, and you get 20% off. Isn't that right, Dennis? Yeah, man. Listen, sometimes people go, well, do you want to go smooth on the balls? Go the length that you want, man. Just make sure you're mm. not, you know, David Letterman beard down there. Make sure mm. that the ladies can do something with with your tool package and Manscaped is the way to do it. 20% off and free shipping. Listen, 
sometimes you give your friend a gift, you know, you, you find a, a packet of biscuits out of the cupboard and you just wrap it because you forget to get him a gift that he can really use. Why don't you get some manscape action into his life? And the next time when you do a roll with him and you go north-south, you don't get a bunch of hair in your mouth and uh, that disgusting smell in your nose. Manscaped.com, uh, code word submission, 20% off, free shipping, perfect Christmas present. Get it now. That's right. Here to do jujitsu, not floss your teeth. Uh, while you're browsing the internet and doing your Christmas shopping, you know, there's a lot of deals that are only accessible to certain parts of the world. What if you could change your region? What if you lived in Australia, but you could make the internet think that you live in America or Kazakhstan or Bulgaria or wherever the deals are? You can with a VPN and you can do it safely. Do it with Pure VPN, who have got a crazy holiday deal at the moment. 88% off. They're practically giving it away for free. It's $1.32 a month if you sign up for five years. You want to do a one-year plan? No worries. You can do it. You can do it monthly even. They've got a lot of deals and all of them are accessible with the code SUBMISSION, which gives gives you another 10% off. It's crazy, isn't it, Dennis? Uh, it's crazy savings, man. And listen, if you want to watch an up-to-date Neighbours uh, episode, or how about <clears throat> some home and away, you've been missing out. Jump into the Australian region today with PureVPN. That's purevpn.com forward slash submission. Use the code word submission. Get that extra 10% off. But Sean, let's talk about the fight just quickly because we, we brought it up and I'm very curious to find out from you. I mean, we were talking about this with Danny Hook yesterday and he was talking about the fact that no build up, no crowd. Man, this could be a real advantage for a guy like Dustin Poirier. Who but there might prefers. be a crowd. Dana says there might be a crowd. Yet to see. It could be a crowd. There could be a crowd. There could not be a crowd. How much do you think a lack of a crowd or a lack of a media week sort of plays into Dustin uh, sort of performing better in this fight. And also with Conor McGregor sort of giving money towards his charity and sort of, mm -hmm. it, it almost seems like a little bit buddy-buddy between him him and Conor. How much do you think that's going to affect the fight as well? It's it's an interesting one because like the exact same thing happened with Cerrone. Pure buddy-buddy. Shook hands with him before the fight happened. And then he came out and he he, uh, he shouldered him right in the nose and broke his nose within like five <laughs> seconds. Came out came out and threw that big left hand immediately, a big knockout blow. Like McGregor was talking about maybe getting rounds in and stuff. And after like a, a, one second, he comes out and throws the big left hand. Like, okay, is he lulling him into a bit of a false sense of security like he did with Cowboy as well? I don't know. The, the weird thing is, right, we, we talk about fighting in um, in with no crowd and everything like that. I don't know how much it affects any of these guys. Like, how, have you watched a fight and thought, oh, if there was a crowd there, it would have been different? I haven't really. Man, like these, Dan Hooker was on here yesterday, and he was saying that he thinks mm -hmm. it's a massive, massive difference. He he was saying, really? like, Tony Ferguson. Would you say idiot? <laughs> He'll shoot. No, no, I said really. I said oh, really. I thought you said <laughs> idiot. I thought you were just like, I'm having none of it. His, his, his theory was, for example, Tony Ferguson is a crowd fighter. He feeds off the crowd. And he said that Charles Oliveira has very often... Um, not lived up to the part, and he's kind of broken in those big fights. So he thinks the crowd played a major factor. He compared it to guys who are awesome in the gym, inspiring, but then when it comes to an in-club tournament or going in, in you know, live fighting, they, they crumble because they can't handle that pressure. And he, comparing the Poirier fight with no crowd to, say, the Felder fight with a massive crowd in his hometown, he said the, the pressure is incomparable. But you're not buying it. You don't think it makes any difference? Well, no. I don't know. Set you up for failure there. Yeah, what what an asshole I am. Yeah, he's only an idiot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, the, the thing about it for me is, right, okay, some people, like, I think the crowd 
can play a difference. Like I always talk to Graham. You know, Graham does the does the um, the documentary with McGregor, and he always like he you know he'd be in like the dressing room with them before, and he'd be talking about fighters who are like fucking shitting it before they go out, and are like they can't they see the big lights and they can't take it, and that, like there is definitely a part of that, all right. But like I feel like I feel like maybe they're for now for now you can you can perform better, you can perform maybe closer to your optimum. When there is no crowd, you can perform like like these guys spar all the time in situations like this where there might be you no know, ten people watching or whatever in in the crowd and and uh, you know and and your teammates or whatever and then you know your your coach watching watching on, like I, you know I I'm not a fighter I've never been in there and it's it's obviously going to be a little bit different like that's the only thing I can think of that maybe it'll turn into a little bit of a sparring session like for Tony at the weekend Tony's a different one now. Because Tony is a weirdo, as we all know, and he probably admitted it himself. So Tony's probably like coming out with his fucking crystals and trying to like get the the energy from the crowd into his hands, and then he drops them and it's in his body, and he's like, he's like you would know with fucking Tony, but he's like Goku the with uh, the spirit bomb. Earth, give me your energy, but there's no crowd, no energy. And Captain I think, I think uh, even like Robert Whitaker and I think Dustin and a few fighters, are like yeah, we prefer it not being mm. a crowd. So maybe for some of these guys, yeah, it's a little bit like hey. Less pressure, less media week, and we prefer it. But do you think that's the case for Conor McGregor? Conor McGregor seems to me like the kind of guy that wants a crowd, that needs a crowd, and that feeds off a crowd. I don't know about about needs a crowd. Like, I think not everyone is used to the crowd, but everyone is used to not having a crowd, if you know what I mean. Like, most of these guys coming up have fought in front of no one, and all of them have sparred in the gym with no one there. So they're all used to that. Not everyone is used to, you know, fucking poor Diego Brando in in Dublin with... (laughs) 10,000 Irish people roaring at him, calling him every name under fucking sun as he walks out. Or, you know, Sipa <laughs> Miocic over in Brazil, whoever might. Like, that rises some people up and that makes other people fall down. Dude, you know? Conor's going to be and in Habib territory. It's going to be an interesting dynamic. It's inter- like, it, 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 more than harming McGregor, I think it'll benefit Poirier. Because we saw in the first fight, McGregor was able to get into his head a little bit. Mm. And, you know, it was maybe he fought a little bit differently because of the Irish crowd and stuff like that. So he won't have that. So it'll be a tougher fight for McGregor in that way, I think. For McGregor himself, I'm sure he'll come out afterwards and say, you know, I wish my fans were here and everyone wishes the fans were there and, you know, for for their pocket as, as well as anything else. But um, I, I don't think it'll affect him, to be honest. Like, I think some people, sometimes we forget, right? And we, with Conor McGregor, it's never been more evident. He's a great showman. He's, you know, love him or fucking loathe him, which a lot of people do. He is a great technical fighter under it all, you know, and... I think McGregor being able to like concentrate more on his technique and be in the fight, which he's great at doing anyway, mm. I think that might benefit him, you know, because we, we can we can all talk about him being a showman and the crowd being behind him and the crowd spurring him on and all, but the crowd don't win McGregor the fights. No, McGregor wins the fights himself, you know, and maybe because there's such like high, uh, you know, thought put into McGregor and and lots of opinion put into McGregor, we we get we get away from the fact that he is a really 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 good fighter, you know, and. Uh, I, you know, I think him being able to kind of have his thoughts with him more than anything else will uh, will help him, and I think it'll help Poirier too. So we're in for a great fight. I think it'll be fantastic. So prediction wise, you thinking another McGregor win here? Ooh, I, I don't know yet. No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> my prediction, my prediction I love yet? This. No. After all of that, know? after all that, yeah. I, I probably, uh, I probably will go for McGregor, but yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give my official prediction in in uh, in January on the on the so Patreon, of course, Sean. Oh my probably, goodness! Yeah, exactly. It's all that. <laughs> Let, let me yeah. Let me tell you this though, man. Also for McGregor, not bad. You know, Dustin Poirier is not going to be coming out there saying anything about his personal life. 
irony of the mistakes he's made. He's either, not calling so. his wife a four and then throwing stuff at Dylan Dennis. That's not happening. That's right. That's right. And oh, that, that, that Dylan Dennis thing. That oh my god. Did you did you see uh, Luke Thomas tweeted? Oh, that's in front of the the studio where they do the the, the fucking food, brilliant food job. diaries, yeah, 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 that rubbish. Uh, <laughs> oh, and he was like, oh, he must have caught Luke Thomas's words were he must have caught wind of it. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm sure he caught wind of it. When fuck, they rang him up and goes, here, Dylan Dennis is going to be here. Dylan knows about it. You come along, you throw a water balloon at him. We we just happen to have a camera crew there as well. <laughs> and it's going to be all well and go fucking the most set up thing I've ever seen in my fucking life. What a load of bullshit. I hate all oh, this Jake Paul thing. I was delighted when the Logan Paul uh, Mayweather fight was announced because it was like, it's away from MMA. I don't need to care about it. I can stay out of it. Oh, this McGregor thing, just like leave me. Oh, please don't let it happen. I do not want to deal with it. We had the fucking McGregor Mayweather thing for long enough. It was a nightmare. I absolutely hated it. And I fucking just, I hope this doesn't happen. I really hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> or if it does, have it on like, have it on like the undercard of an actual McGregor fight. So he can just beat Jake Paul in like seven <laughs> seconds and then go and have another fight. And then we just won't have to listen to it anymore. Or just like go to his gym and beat the shit out of him and just be done with it or something. Like, I just don't want it six months of this. That's what I don't want. Dude, boxing in 2020 consists of uh, Mark Hunt losing yesterday to a retired NRL oh, yeah. player in a boxing match. And now a Logan Paul fighting Floyd Mayweather. And who knows what Jake Paul's going to do because he's got a big draw behind him so far far out. Who knows? Maybe it'll be him and Dylan Dennis or him and Ben Askren or who even knows. But for now, guys, follow the man at Sean Sheehan, BA, of course, Severe MMA, one of the best shows out there. Make sure to subscribe to the Patreon. A lot of really good stuff coming out, of course, with this McGregor fight around the corner. Get that official prediction uh, through the Patreon now and uh, make sure to follow Sean for all of his latest news tweets. Always a hilarious follow on the Twitter. Sean, thank you so much, sir. Have a great holiday. We love that sweater, but uh, I think it's time for a haircut. Again, one tomorrow. Be grand. Thanks for <laughs> <having me last. laughs>